This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Grace and peace to you from God and from Jesus Christ. Hello, friends. It's good. Hello. It is good to see you. Lots of wonderfully familiar faces and thankfully new faces as well. New to me, if not new to one another. The four years that I was blessed to be a part of the life of Apex Church shaped me forever. Um, I told Sheila between services, and I think this is probably self-evident, that once you have served a congregation of people, you love them and hold them in a particular place in your heart forever. I'm now doing the ministry where I get to work with 104 congregations um, and about 156 pastors. It is a bit like herding cats, but it is also um, an occasion to understand what it is to be a vibrant community of disciples for Christ Jesus. You know Apex is that. I was a few months ago down east, way east, near the Outer Banks, and uh, the folks in that particular church asked me when I, I think in their phrase, last did honest religious work, they meant served as a pastor in a local church, and I said, Apex. And there they said, wow, that must have been a joy. And they were right. It was and it is. So thank you to Tim and to Sheila, to Laura, and all those of you who have made my occasion to get to be back as Apex celebrates such a landmark in its life to be a part of life here. Then together, sisters and brothers in Christ, let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we might decrease and you increase in the power of Jesus. Amen. This morning's lesson from the gospel could actually be used as something of a club. Jesus speaks quite bluntly and tells us about anger and murder and sex and how we are to deal with each other, how the church is to behave, how the church is to be, how we are to live. And certainly, each one of these various sections or pericopes of scripture I read is more than worthy of week after week of teaching and preaching, yet in the tradition of the church, this is generally the Sunday every three years when they are read together. And yet I find that a joy, because in these texts read together, there's a promise of peace about how to live, and how to love, and how to trust in God. So hear with me from the Gospel according to Matthew, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. And Jesus said, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So some of you know that part of my work in ministry now is to help send or appoint, as we call it in the church, pastors to congregations. That is a great joy because in the work of doing that, you get to talk to congregational leaders about why they exist and what they're trying to do. You also, in my work, get to shepherd and work with pastors all of whom are desperately eager to love Jesus, serve him well, and do well by the congregations. And because I'm blessed to serve in the particular communities I do, I get to work with lots of div students and clergy who are just out of school and receiving their first assignment, their very first appointment. Last June, I saw one of the most able young men in our connection currently go to his very first church. It's a great background. Um, in engineering and in the military, and he will lead the church he serves with grace and elan and a great deal of joy and effectiveness. He's also not given to chit-chat. Um, if you know his background, you would know that he is not a small talk sort of guy. That's just not where he comes from. He's a guy who's used to following directions and achieving a goal, and so he said to me about a week before he went to this church for the first time, uh, will you coach me? Will you help me know what I'm supposed to do? And this is like a slam dunk. So I said, oh, sure, yeah, buddy, I'm fine. He called me two days in and said, so what am I supposed to do now? And I said, get to know your people. They want to know who you are. Invest yourself in them and let them know that their shepherd cares for them and knows them individually. Since chit-chat is not his thing, and since lots of pastors spend lots of time making chit-chat, I figured that was an assignment for several weeks. He called me back in a couple of weeks and said, it's all going really well, but I'm invited to the birthday party of my church's oldest member. She's turning 100. What am I supposed to do? And I said, well, you go to the party. You've got to show up. 
And so he went, he showed up to the party, and to his horror, remember this is not the chit-chat guy, um, because he's the new preacher, he was seated right next to the honoree for her 100th birthday. And he gave out a chit-chat, I think about two minutes in, and he did not know what to say or what to do, so he made a valiant effort, and he said, so ma'am, do you have any children? And she said, not yet. <laughs> Call me the next time. He said, so what do I do with that? And I said, you go with it, man, because you have found you're blessed to serve a congregation of hope. That lady's got hopes. She's got big hopes, and she's got some mighty strong hopes, but she's got hope. And yet that is what the church is supposed to be, right? That is who we are supposed to be, the people of hope. And then you read this sort of text. The text from John, uh, Matthew's Gospel that has been used time and again to club people. And now, you're right, we could spend a long time on each of those separate sections of pericopes talking about what did Jesus mean. Every time there's a qualifier. Or what about if your sister really, really treated you dirtily? And yet, I would tell you there's a theme that unites it all. Every time you hear that text read, remind yourself of what Jesus tells us and reminds us of. We are people made in God's image, so we are people able to act. If we have blown it, if we've been angry at a brother or sister or have suffered their anger, we can leave our gift before we come to the altar and we can go and make peace with that individual before we have the temerity to approach God. If you have ever lusted after someone or something in your own heart and made her or him an object to satisfy you, you have the occasion that you can get a grip on yourself, rectify your behavior, that is, put it right, and make a bridge between yourself and that person to the degree they will allow you to put things to rights. If you have ever divorced someone or are divorced, if you've ever been divorced and then have remarried, you have the opportunity to remember that Jesus trying to hold up marriage as a primary joy and vocation in life for those who choose it, we're also invited to understand that we are very broken and fragile people and have committed all sorts of errors against our life partners. And from that comes the pain of inevitable divorce and inevitable frustration. And if you've ever lived in such a way that you took care of number one, you understand how hard the job is to address not yourself and your own needs, but the needs and call of God and the needs of those about you. Better to tear out your eye or cut off your hand than to keep serving yourself and denying God. But in every one of those moments, there is this great word from Jesus that you can do something about it. By my power alive and the work in you, you can be the agent and the vehicle for hope. We are the people of hope. That 100-year-old lady who's still hoping to see her children appear uh, has it right that we are those whose hope is rooted not in ourselves or in our own ability to perform, but we are the ones who hope because we know God works through us. Or as you heard in the epistle lesson, 
It doesn't matter who planted the word of truth in you or how you've come to know God's truth or frankly, I think, whether or not you really believe God's truth. It really matters that you come to live by it and try to conform to it until you discover the truth for yourself, that God is real and that Jesus has spoken to you and called you into the new life. And so we are the people of hope, the people who live in a world where we are confounded by the fact that people can no longer, with civility, discuss politics, confounded by the fact that even in strong traditional denominations, we want to divide up over mores and choices, confounded by the fact that sometimes it's really better now not to discuss intimate things with intimate friends because you don't want to lose out on them too. And we are called to be the people of hope. Not because of ourselves, but because of God at work in us and the power God gives us to choose to live as such people of hope that others, in the words of the Apostle as we heard this morning, will be grafted and grown to the power of Christ Jesus. That is our job. The great compliment Jesus gives us in that long litany of how to live, even how to live in very hard times, is God knows it's hard, but God has also made us able to live as people of joy, who trust not in ourselves, but the God who worked in us. For the sake of the world God loves so much, God came to be a part of us, as a part of this world, and the gift of Jesus Christ. And that is the ground for great hope. That it is not up to us, not up to whether or not you've blown it by one of those standards, but it is up to God who loves us and has shown us the smiling face of life in the gift of His Son to us, Jesus Christ, and calls us to live like it, and to move toward people who live in pain and isolation, and that joy and in that power, both for today and for tomorrow. Now, I think you also probably get that not only do I get to send out clergy on occasion with the bishop's blessing, um, but I get to help recruit them. Um, nobody in our tradition, nobody in our denomination can become a pastor unless their home congregation votes an affirmation of them. Um, I used to say my home church in Smithfield looks back at voting for me and sort of goes, has it come to this? But, but people, people have to affirm you in your home congregation. Um, that happened for me many years ago when I was a 21-year-old guy. So you, you ask congregations to say, to judge somebody um, on the basis of where they are in life. You would have asked me one set of questions, I think at 20, you'd ask me another now. Who knows, maybe here in this room there's someone who has a call of God in her or his life, one of the scouts, one of you. A few months ago I got to be at a church business meeting, in our tradition we call them church conferences, and the um, young woman in this particular congregation, uh, who'd already been vetted by their pastor parish committee, stood up in front of about as many people as are seated here now in the center, and gave her testimony to how God had worked in her life. Powerful moment, really sweet story of how she went from faith to no faith and back to faith and now knows God is calling her to ordained ministry. Um, her mom and dad were seated on the front pew like over here. Her father was good Lord. He's just paid for an engineering degree from Virginia Tech. And so now she's going up and smoke. Um, he's very supportive, very gracious about it all. Um, and seated beside her parents, 
where the people I sort of suspected were instead of a grandparents, um, a couple that sort of looked like they matched the mom, if you will. Um, and so she gave this wonderful sort of testimony, and, and when she got done, I sort of glanced over at her family because I presided these things. And um, the parents were beating. I think the father was still thinking about Virginia Tech. <laughs> the grandmama was smiling, but the granddaddy was beginning to tear up. And I thought, oh, uh, and then part of this deal is that the members of the church get to ask questions. So they ask some very astute questions of this young woman. How she knew it was God, how she sort of foresaw as best she can at 26, her life in the ordained ministry and all that sort of stuff. And the more they asked and the more she dialogued, and you can tell that it, it was a, a wonderful thing back and forth between her and her own body of Christ. The, the granddaddy was just crying. He wasn't sobbing, but he was really teary. And so I called for the boat. We do have our written ballot, so it took a little while. Um, and, and we got done. We counted the boats, of course. It was a home run all the way around. That first central falls. I got to pray a prayer blessing for And the meeting broke up, and I went over to speak to the parents and to the grandparents. And when I got to the granddad, I said, sir, that was really beautiful. I, I'm, I'm sure you're just all caught up in it. And he looked at me, and he got why I thought what I did, and said, oh, I'm not crying for her, I'm crying for myself. How come? He said, a little over 60 years ago, I stood right where she stood, and made that same sort of testimony, that same sort of statement. And I really, really did think that God at that point had a call in my life, but the church turned me down. And so he looked at me and he said, well, I know you want to know, Mr. Superintendent. And they turned me down because my parents weren't married when I was born. Well, now, y'all got it all, but you're church folks, by and large, and so you can't tell me you're surprised. <laughs> because sometimes that's how we act, even as a church. We use all those rules, all those guides Jesus gave us by which to live as the club, to be people. And we make, with the best of intentions, these very poor moral discernments because we're just doing the best we can. And so then, I asked the obvious question, at least what was obvious to me, and I said to this older man, so sir, basically, why are you still here? And he quoted me the Bible. And he said, if you're on your way to worship God, and you remember that someone has a quarrel against you, leave your gift and go and make your peace with your brother or sister. And once you've reconciled your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift to God. And he said, I've hung out here the last 60 years. I knew I needed them because this is where I met Jesus. And I think we needed to come to act more like Jesus. Which is why I think we just did. So that is a man who's learned to live in hope. Hope not upon himself. God knows not hope because the church is always so good. But hope because he knows God is at work in him by the power of Jesus. And it's that same Jesus who invites us to live in hope to use the gifts God has planted in each of us. And that same Jesus who invites us to be the church, 
and to go out to give that broken world the sign of hope that is Christ, so that the power of Jesus will truly come live in us. And we will be able to give ourselves to Jesus as well as to the broken people around us, confident not in our strength, confident in Jesus. His promise to love us, to forgive us, and to lift us up to new life, today, tomorrow, and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.